Welcome to Shedding Light Hunting Stories Podcast, the podcast dedicated to the average Joe and their great hunting stories. I'm your host, Travis Williams. You're listening to episode 66. Hey guys, welcome to the show. Hope that you're having a great week. Uh, I'm having a good week. I'm a little tired right now because turkey season has come. And I love turkey season. I love being in the spring woods, but it does mean that I'm a little sleep deprived sometimes because I'm getting up at like a quarter till five sometimes and uh, just covering a lot of ground. And it's, it's a lot of fun, but it is a tiring style of hunting for me. Um, it's been kind of cool. I'll give you a quick update on what's been going on. It has been a struggle so far. And I am recording this, just so you know, on April the 22nd. And um, so season came in on Monday. I went out on Sunday for a youth hunt and um, uh, videoed that hunt. I uh, went with a buddy of mine, Ben Cunningham, and his son. Uh, Ben's been on the show uh, twice before, actually. And uh, set up on a field, had some gobblers in the distance, but just nothing came in. They were pretty tight-lipped and unfortunately was not able to uh, get anything other than just some beautiful sunrise footage. That's about it. And then Monday, uh, my buddy Corey... Uh, was going to go on his very first uh, turkey hunt. And I, I will say this, it's been a little difficult. We're trying to observe some of this social distancing thing, um, you know, during this. And it's it's been a little hard to do, you know, that's the thing about turkey hunting is a lot of times it is a very social uh, thing. So I, I, I know there's people that disagree with the whole thing, think it's overblown, whatever. I'm not, I'm not going to get into that. But I will say I, I do just because I have young kids and I, I do tend to just try and take it seriously. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Um, but Corey and I, we wore our <laughs> masks and uh, then our, our camo masks over top of those. And then I, I would normally be pretty close to a guy that's brand new so I could really, you know, coach him and whisper. But we were about six feet apart, you know, so we set up away from each other. And uh, we had a, a hen come into our decoys that morning and um, set up overlooking a, a beautiful field. And uh, had some other birds enter the field and just nothing was willing to come up. And uh, so we heard another bird off in the distance, and we decided to close in on him. And so we packed up all of our stuff and uh, started headed that way. And he was gobbling, and I started calling a little bit as I went, and he was getting fired up. And we dropped down into this bottom and right next to a creek. And I knew that this bird wasn't too far away. So I told Corey, just go ahead and uh, sit down real quick. And he sat down, I sat down, and I realized we just weren't in a really good spot. Not a lot of cover. And this bird, if he came down where I thought he was going to come down, uh, off the thing, he was going to. Cir- I figured he would kind of circle down, take an easy path down off this hill, and come out this flat right in front of us, right beside the creek. So I decided real quick, I'm going to put out my decoys just to give this bird something to look at as I'm calling, maybe give us a shot, you know, get him in close for Corey. And so I go put the hen out, and then I get. I thought, you know, how to put a Jake there too. So I'm getting the Jake out of my bag, and I'm getting the steaks, and all of a sudden I look up and I see a red, red beard or red beard. I see a red head, <laughs> and a huge beard. And this bird has came off of the hill in a spot I didn't think he would come down. He came down this super steep spot, and he was coming in hot. And now I see him running the opposite direction. And all I can do is just lay down, call, and hope that he comes back. And, of course, he did not. 
Um, so extremely frustrated with my poor choice. Uh, I think the creak made him sound like he was a little bit further away. They usually sound further than what they actually are anyhow. And I, I wish I would have waited just to see what that bird would have done. Maybe Corey would have got his first shot. But that's the way it went. Uh, and then this morning uh, was not the morning I was hoping for. I set up on a hill. Gobblers didn't come up. I dropped over into uh, a creek. And as I'm crossing the creek, I dropped my real nice uh, video camera into the creek itself. Uh, submerged fully. So was not very happy about that. But I was chasing two gobblers down in this bottom again. And I called them into 80 yards, but they did not like my setup. Uh, they just didn't like my... I had a, a, a Tom decoy out there and a hen, and they just didn't care for it. So that's the update. Uh, so far, <laughs> the turkeys are winning. Um, I guess today was my first actual me hunting them by myself thing, and I'm, I'm getting close. I, I think it's going to happen. Um, these birds are pretty hot, but... Um, it's just going to take time. I, sometimes it happens easy, and then there's some seasons I'm going to have to work for it, and I'm, I'm pretty sure uh, this is going to be one of those. And let alone, i got to get them in close enough to shoot them with a trad bow. Um, but we'll uh, we'll keep at it and see how it goes. Some of my friends have gotten birds, and I'm a pump for them. Um, but anyway, I hope that you're doing well this spring. That's a quick update on what's going on here. Hey, I just want to say thank you so much once again listening to the podcast. Uh, as I think back on uh, 65 episodes before this, um, the reason I do it is because I, I think some of you enjoy it. Um, I'm guessing you do. If, if you don't, I don't know why you're, you're listening. Um, <laughs> and I, I really appreciate you guys listening. I've had a lot of emails recently, people reaching out saying that they like the show, they love the stories, and um, just been able to talk to some really cool guests recently. All I guess all the guests are cool, um, but just some unique stories uh, this week and, and coming up. So that said, thanks for listening. If you do enjoy it and you haven't left a review and you're on a platform that allows you to leave a review, man, I would really appreciate a review, five-star. Uh, not all I know not all podcast platforms have that availability, but if you do that and let your friends know about it, uh, the more the merrier. And once again, if you ever have a story that you'd like to tell, sheddinglightod at gmail.com. All right, today we're going to jump in. Our guest is from Canada. His name is Brian Hagler. And Brian, uh, we're going to jump in to kind of take a little break from turkey stories. And Brian's going to talk a little bit about a deer hunt that he had. And then up in Canada, where he's at, you can also hunt elk at the same time. So he has a really cool elk story, kind of sandwiched in between two really good deer stories. And he has some really, just I just love this guy's attitude. Um, he's had some challenges. And he takes those challenges and he moves forward with a positive attitude. And so we'll talk a little bit more about that toward the end. But uh, without any further ado, here is Brian. Hey, folks, I've got Brian Hagler on the line. Brian, how's it going? Uh, doing good, Travis. How about yourself? All doing great. Uh, just another week of living the dream, you know, stuck in inside. So, <laughs> but turkey season's coming. Uh, it's almost here. So I am. I went out this morning and uh, found about five gobblers gobbling their head off, and so that was so good to get out of the house. But what's going on with you, man? Uh, not a whole lot. About the same here. We're finally getting some nice weather. Uh, snow was finally melting, so things are looking up. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Now you're in British Columbia? Uh, Alberta. 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 I don't know Canada very well. So <laughs> Brian, instead of me trying to introduce, why don't you introduce yourself to the, the audience here? Let us know who you are, where you're actually from, and tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. Uh, I actually grew up in a small town uh, in Southern Illinois, Macanda. 
Um, graduated high school, went to work in the coal mines. And whenever I was 21, got a job offer to come to Alberta, Canada to work in a mine. I took that offer. I was young, didn't really have anything. Uh, since then, I have met my wife and I'm still living up here and really enjoy it up here. Um, currently, I work at uh, a mine for Westmoreland Coal driving a haul truck. Okay, so you're not going deep into the earth. You're more of the, the guy on the outside taking the coal around, right? Uh, I, Whenever I first moved up working in southern Illinois and whenever I first moved up here, yeah, I worked underground, have since moved to surface mining. Do you like that better? It's definitely nice to see the sun, sunshine during the day. <laughs> my, my brother was a coal miner for, I don't know, at least five to seven years, somewhere in there. He just he just got another job last year, and I'm, I'm pretty thankful because that going underground stuff, I, that, that can be tough on you, I'm sure. Yeah, there is definitely some times where it can get, get a little bit scary, yeah. Hmm. Well, cool. Well, Brian, tell us a little bit about how you got into hunting. Give us a little bit of your, your hunting background and um, just, uh, you know, how did you develop a passion for, for chasing animals like you do? Uh, well, I mean, I guess I was kind of born into it, I'll say. Uh, my dad, all my uncles hunted. Uh, grew up, you know, hunting small game with them, squirrels, rabbits, that type of thing. Uh, my first deer that I killed was actually kind of what got me hooked on hunting. Um, I was uh, 10 years old and I remember my dad had to take his bow into the shop to get some work done on it. And I went with them and they had a used uh, PSE bandit two sitting on the shelf. And I begged him, I said, come <laughs> on, let's buy it. And I said, I I'll get into shooting. So finally convinced him and we bought it and I shot all summer long and it got close to season. And he said, well, maybe next year, you know, we'll buy you tags. And I remember I begged him again, please. Like I shot all summer long. I said, I can, I can do it. I said, I'll go with you and we'll have fun. So after a long time, I finally convinced him to buy me a set of tags for that year. And the second day of season, me and my brother got off of school and uh, my grandma and grandpa live right behind us and he's got some hay field and uh, the deer would always come out into this hay field every evening. Uh, there was a barn that sat back on the far corner of the field uh, and we were we were just sitting in the barns while we were doing waiting for the deer to come out. And my brother told me he, he had been hunting for a few years and shot a couple deer. And he said, well, if one comes in 20 yards or less, he said, I'll let you shoot it. If it's more than 20 yards, he said, I'll shoot it. I said, okay, that's, that's fair. <laughs> so, uh, sure enough, they start coming out in the field and this dose 20 yards away and he said, okay. He said, go ahead. He said, I'll let you shoot it. So I drew my bow back, settled my pin down on her. And just as I was getting ready to release, another one steps out right at the end of the barn, probably five yards away from us. 
And this deer actually stuck her head in the barn to see what we were. And whenever she stuck her head in. Oh, I mean, my goodness. Yeah, it was it was unbelievable. And uh, as whenever she turned and stuck her, stuck her head in the barn, I moved my pen and settled it on her and uh, shot her at five yards away. She probably ran 50, 60 yards and fell over it. And from that moment on, it was, it was in my, in my blood. I mean, I couldn't get enough of it. Oh, wow. That, that's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> Curiosity yeah. killed the, killed the dough on that one. So oh, for sure it did. <laughs> wow. So you get your first doe down. I mean, as your brother, that's, I don't, that's kind of a neat experience be in a barn with your brother, shoot your first doe. That's, that's kind of a unique first kill, I think. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, uh, it's something that doesn't happen very often. Um, actually, I think it was about a week later, my brother shot one out of the same place doing the exact same thing. His was a little bit further out, but uh, shot one out of the barn. And we hunted that spot for several years. So mm. That just goes to show, I, I think guys that are listening to this, maybe that are a little bit newer to hunting, you know, we always get in our heads that we've got to go out in the middle of the woods with a tree stand, or we got to go out with a saddle or a blind or whatever you hunt out of. You got to do it a certain way, but reality is you got to go where the deer are. <laughs> so if the deer are next to a barn, go to the barn. That just makes, you know, I, I've hunted them out of my kid's play set in my backyard, um, and it works. So, you know, that's, that's pretty cool, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were just sitting on a couple lawn chairs up against the back wall of the barn. So, uh, that's sweet. Well, Brian, as, uh, you kind of progress as a hunter, any other stories that just, you know, come to the top is something that just stands out to you. Things that, you know, you just look back on it. It's just one of those hunts that you're like, I, if I had to pick one, this is one of my favorites. Um, really, I guess, I mean, there's, there's several, of course, uh, I've hunted lots of different animals, mule deer, turkey, uh, bear, um, moose. Uh, this year, though, I believe is probably kind of the most exciting year that I've had. I uh, got the opportunity. I was invited on a bear hunt this spring with a couple buddies, and, and I, I got the chance to, or was offered the, the chance to join a little group called Boreal Pursuit. Uh, it's just a couple guys love the outdoors kind of post things on the internet. Um, and that kind of upped my game a little bit. It pushed me a little bit harder this year to get out, to do more scouting, to do more preseason prep, um, and need to even hunt more and improve on my hunting skills. So I feel like this year I kind of took my, my hunting to another level. Um, but, uh, from, yeah, uh, let me let me stop you for a second. Uh, on I just wanted to kind of talk a little bit about this. Bo First off, boreal. Um, what's where do you guys where do they get the name from? Is that kind of like a North thing, Canada thing? Um, I'm just curious about the name itself. So, uh, boreal pursuit. Uh, the boreal part comes from uh, the boreal forest. It's just a type of forest. You it's it. it is all over the place up here in Canada. It's uh, like a thick, dense forest, you know. A lot with, of pines. 
a lot of pines, a lot yeah. of poplar trees, that type of thing. Yeah. Okay, cool. So you uh, joined that group and, um, I I've noticed, I, I got to look in here on Facebook and you're on Instagram and you spell it B O R E A L, uh, pursuit, but you look at that and you guys are posting videos and things like that. So that you said that that's helped you become a better hunter. Yeah, it has, uh, the guys that are in that group are some amazing guys. Um, they, I mean, we, we just feed off of each other, right? We, we build off of each other, bounce ideas off of each other. Hey, I tried this. It didn't work. You know, maybe next time I'll try this and, and that type of thing, or, you know, well, you know, I tried this one time and it worked for me. Maybe try that. And it's, it's just a group of guys having fun in the outdoors, doing what we love. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So jumping back in uh, to this year, you were talking a little bit about how this became, you know, you joined that group, and now this past year was one of the better years. What made it such a good year? Uh, well, I guess it all kind of started out this summer. Uh, I hung quite a few trail cameras, and I had three deer that I would consider shooter deer, uh, and one in particular that I kind of had, had my – sights set on um watched him all summer long thought that i had him patterned out and season came around the first two days of season i believe the first day of season i was working and then the second day of hunting season was uh, the wind wasn't right to go into the spot where i had been seeing him so i went to a different area um on the third day of season we kind of got a little bit of a cool front and the wind had switched blowing perfect for where, for the direction that it needed to be. Uh, so I got in there fairly early and, uh, this year joining Boreal Pursuit, I was trying to film a lot of my own stuff, uh, which I'm sure, you know, can be very difficult. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> so, and in this particular spot, there was no good spot for a tree. So I'd done something that I normally don't do. And that is set up a pop-up blind, not anything against them, but I've just never used them. Uh, but with the area that he was in, there was no good trees to hang a stand. So I set it up and I shot out of it lots this summer, felt comfortable shooting out of it. So anyways, I got in there and made a rookie mistake of trying to set the camera up before I got all of my hunting gear set up. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I got the camera set up, got the camera positioned, and I picked up my bow, drew it back just to make sure I had enough clearance, and I did not have enough clearance on the blind. I was hitting the, the blind with my bow, went to re let down my bow, and I looked up, and the deer that I really wanted to shoot was standing 35 yards away, broadside, staring oh. me in the eyeballs. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and to make it worse, this is August 28th. Our archery season comes in August 25th. 
So this deer is in full velvet, beautiful deer. Um, so I make a quick decision whether to continue to let down my bow and try and adjust or make the shot. And make the shot. I settled my pin on him and released. And my bottom cam hit the side of the blind. Arrow fell about five feet short of him. He takes off. Um, very disheartening. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's got to be extremely frustrating. <laughs> like, it, you know, I, mean, I, it, I know that sinking, like, it's just this sinking feeling of there was my perfect opportunity and, and there it went. On one hand, yes. I mean, I definitely felt that that was my one opportunity at this deer and I just blew it. Uh, but on the other hand, you know, I was extremely happy and proud of myself because I had patterned this deer this summer. <laughs> I had waited till the right time. I had him figured out. I just messed up. Uh, I mean, so it was, I actually came home that night and I told my wife what had happened. And she said, you know, you're in a very good mood for what just happened. And I said, well, like I said, on, on one hand, yes, I completely blew it. But on the other hand, I feel like that I still beat him because I knew what he was going to do. He'd done what I thought he was going to do. Mm. That's a good way to look at that. I mean, that a lot of guys just be extremely frustrated, like I mentioned. But I think you walking away from it, looking at it from another angle is, is huge because that probably affected the rest of your season. You know, I mean, knowing that, Hey, I can get on this deer that gives you some sort of confidence. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't know for sure that I would see that deer again, but like I said, I had two other deer that I would have been extremely pleased with shooting. Um, so after I had missed that deer, like you said, it, it encouraged me to kind of get back out and I actually moved some trail cameras around to try and figure out where he had went. Um, and I had went two days later, I believe it was to check a trail camera on the edge of a pea field that I'd set up in the summer because I thought that those deer might be using that pea field, uh, got in there to check, to check that camera. And there was actually a herd of elk coming out into that pea field every night, like clockwork. Um, unfortunately, it was my last day off, so I wasn't able to go out. Um, but I worked, worked my shift and got off work and uh, got off night shift. So I got off that morning. And I came home and I checked the wind. The wind was right. Everything was good. So what I'd done, I took everything that I was going to take with me and I set it outside, let it air out. I took all of my clothes, washed them in the scent-free soap, um, asked my wife to put them in the dryer whenever they were done because it was after night shift. I went and had a nap. I... Uh, Woke up from my nap, I went out, I shot my bow some more after just coming off the miss. Um, and 
headed out that evening, the wind was still right and uh, got out there really early this time, um, set up in a tree. It was actually, I was actually sitting on public land, probably about 40 yards off of this private piece where the pea fields, where the pea field was at. Um, and their trail was coming through a gate. Uh, there, there's kind of, it's a pipeline that goes through. So it's, there's a, a cut line and then the gate meets up with that cut line going into the pea field. And I, uh, had a camera right on the edge of that gate. Um, so I got out there plenty early, started walking down the field. I was walking into my stand and I knew I shouldn't cross where those elk were coming out at. I was afraid that if they hit my trail that they would take off. So I cut back into the woods about, a, about 50 yards to get away from any place that they would be um, and cross the fence there. Got up into my tree. I was using a climbing stand. Got up into the tree and got the camera set this time. Um, sat there for probably three hours, no movement, no nothing. And finally a doe came along walking on this cut line. She went out into the pea field and was eating. And probably about 10 or 15 minutes later, I hear some more rustling back behind me. And I got stood up, got ready. And the first cow came in front of me. She got 18 yards in front of me because I had ranged a couple spots on this cut line that I could shoot. And she got right to the first window and she stopped and she put her head up in the air and started sniffing. And the wind was perfect. The wind was blowing right at my face. She was out in front of me. Um, so I, I couldn't figure out what was going on. But she finally, a bunch more cows came up and she checked that whole area over. She walked to the gate, checked where my trail camera was sitting. She smelled the trail camera to see if there was any new scent on it. Hmm. We walked down the fence line about halfway, about 25 yards and walked back. And then she walked down until she found my trail where I'd crossed the fence line 50 yards away from this gate. Um, she again threw her head up in the air several times checking for scent. Um, so she knows something's up, right? She knew something was wrong. I, I still, I still don't know how. Yeah. Just I mean, everything was right. Like I said, I, I took the extra precautions that I thought that I needed to take, and she still knew something was wrong. Mm. Um, and there was, it, it's kind of funny, um, there was nine cows and three calves in this herd. None of the other cows 
or calves would go past that one cow. So you could tell she was the boss. She was the leader. Mm-hmm. Uh, like they would, would not go past her. And she found where I crossed the fence at, and she actually followed my trail right up five yards away from my stand. Oh, and as wow. she's doing this, there's actually another cow out in front of me on the pipeline. And I, I knew, well, from the pictures, there was always a bull in this herd. So I told myself, I want to wait for the bull. I want to wait for the bull. And whenever she started following my trail, I told myself, because the unit that I'm hunting in, it is legal to shoot a cow with your bow. Um, so there's another cow standing on the cut line. And I told myself, well, meat in the freezer is better than going home empty handed. So if this cow busts and I get a chance to shoot one of the other ones, I'm going to do it. Um, and right as I told myself that in my head, the bull started raking a tree off to my left-hand side. I couldn't see him because it was so thick, but he couldn't have been 15 yards away from me. You could just see the treetop shaking back and forth as he was raking on the trees. Um, and finally, a couple other cows kind of made it up to that gate. And I don't know if that lead cow didn't like that or whatever, but it, whenever they got up to the gate, she turned around and she went out into the field and it was, it was the herd followed her. Like none of them crossed into the field until she was out there first. But as soon as she went into the field, the rest of them followed suit. Um, so they're now out into the field, the bull still raking off to my left. Um, and they were probably in the field 10 or 15 seconds and that bull started coming. And so I was waiting for him to come on that, uh, cut line. So I got ready and no, he stayed inside the wood line and walked probably three yards underneath of me. I couldn't even get a shot. He was so close, uh, to stay in the cover, I believe until he got close to the fence line and then he angled out towards the uh, gate. Um, uh, Brian, r- let me stop you real quick. Is this, um, have you had success taking elk before or is this your first time like everything kind of happening? I had shot a cow with my bow the year previous, uh, but the cow the year previous was my first elk that I had shot. Um, and she was by herself. It was early September. She was by herself. So this is kind of the first interaction that I had being around a herd and kind of seeing how they act and how they work. Um, yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. So you got a a big bull right underneath your, your stand. I mean, that's gotta be (laughs) like, I've, I've never considered, you know, tree stand hunting elk, you know, whenever (laughs) I've gone, but in where it sounds like you've got them patterned, got them figured out and you're in a great, obviously a great location. Yeah. I mean, I, it was the first time that I had ever attempted hunting them from a tree stand, but like I said, they were using that field so often it was, 
it was clockwork. They were coming out every evening at the same time. So I, like I said, growing up in the Midwest, hunting out of a tree stand, I mean, even, even not, I mean, to me, that's the logical thing to do is to, to ambush them. Um, instead of trying to call them go to where they are (laughs) are, that's right all right i interrupted you go ahead man so what what goes down next uh so like i said he comes right underneath my stand and i can just see his back and i can see antlers sticking up and that's how i knew it was the bull and uh he walks and gets just past my tree stand and angles right towards that gate so all i can see is his back like I, I i don't have a shot all i can see is his bum um and he gets to the gate well as he's walking towards the gate i think to myself i'm not going to get a shot at him he's going to walk into the field he's not going to give me a shot but again at the same time i'm thinking like what an amazing experience because you you like i said it was my first real encounter and i learned so much about how they move how they act uh that i told myself well i'm okay if i don't get a shot maybe i'll come back and try it again right um but anyways he gets right to the gate and there's a stick that snaps further back on the pipeline um And as soon as that stick breaks, this bull turns around, does like a 180 to see what's back on the pipeline. And as soon as he does that, he gives me a 40-yard quartering away shot. So I quickly draw my bow back and set all my pin on him and release. And as soon as I, as soon as it hits him, he takes off. And I was like, oh, I think it was a good shot. I feel like it was a good shot. He runs probably five yards. I can see the blood start to come out of him. And I realized the shot was a little bit further back than what I had aimed for, but still felt like it was a decent shot. And the whole time that the bull's coming out into the field, the cows are probably 50 yards into the field just eating, you know, hanging around the the calves are playing around a little bit and the bull gets probably five yards away from the cows and he goes to slow down and he kind of does that stutter step everybody if if you've hunted long enough you've seen him do it and uh you know that it was a good hit then he does so he does a little stutter step and then he goes to try and correct himself and just falls over antlers dig into the ground and to me it looked like his back feet came up off the air or off the ground <laughs> three feet in the air it was uh, it was an amazing feeling <laughs> oh man i imagine that's awesome yeah it was it was something i actually did not even get my camera turned on because that first cow came in so leery i was afraid to turn the camera on and try and get it positioned and stuff so and that's i phoned my buddy after i shot it and i was sitting in the tree stand i said i didn't get it on video i wish i would have i said it it was it was a once in a lifetime experience i believe in my mind just the way that it played out 
Oh man, I'm uh, good for you though for not letting the camera get in the way because it's cool to film stuff. But um, I'm assuming you guys probably aren't getting paid for this. I'm not getting paid for this, and so <laughs> my view is if nobody's paying me, I'm going to shoot the animal and I'll I'll get the footage later. <laughs> no, that's that's kind of how I look after I'm after I missed that deer. That's kind of the way that I looked at it for the rest of the season. I mean it it's cool to get them on video, but at the same time, especially with it being my first bull, I I did not want to risk, you know, failing again because of the camera. So I just left it sitting in the tree and then I turned it on afterwards and took some video of, you know, me being excited in the tree and that type of thing. So, well, you did post pictures of this on your Instagram that I got to check out. Um, and that is a nice bull. I mean, anybody would be happy with that bull. He is, he's a stud. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was very happy with him, especially, well, I mean, like I said, he, I shot him technically on public land. He expired on private land. So it's, <laughs> he was, he was living mainly on the private land. So oh, it's cool. a very good accomplishment. And thankfully the, the farmer, well, he's my neighbor. I know him very well. He was very gracious. He said, yeah, just drive your side-by-side -side down there and load them up and take them home. I said, okay, I appreciate oh, it very much. So Yeah, that's great. <laughs> so uh, I want to go back to deer. I'm just curious how – and this this is kind of weird for me being an Ohio boy. I've never had uh, um, you know a deer season turn into an elk season and then back to a deer <laughs> season. <laughs> so – so how does the rest of your, your deer season play out, Brian? Uh, it ends very well. Uh, from the time after I shot that elk, uh, I shot the elk on September 4th um, until basically the first week of November. Everything, every deer that I had on trail camera disappeared. I did not see another deer um, could not figure out where they went, where they were at. Uh, then I started kind of looking at maps uh, to try and figure out kind of where some of these deer would have went. And I called a guy to get permission. It would be uh, about a mile away from where I had missed that one deer. And he said, yeah, you know, sure, go ahead, go go back there, no problem. And uh, so we went, I went back and I checked that property out one evening. And there was a bit of sign, but not a whole lot. Um, and the next day, my one of my good friends came up. He had actually, he, had, he was supposed to come up to hunt, but he had tagged out a few days previous. So he said, well, I'll come up and I'll video for you and see if we can't get you, see if we can't find out where all these deer went to. Um, so we set out and we checked that property again. And like I said, there was a little bit of sign on it, but not... A ton of sign um, so we backed out and we were trying to figure out what to do for the next day 
Um, and I told him, I said, you know, I said, I've been hunting fairly hard, can't seem to find anything. I said, let's just go take the morning. It was kind of supposed to be rainy snow mix. Um, I said, I'd, I personally don't think that anything's going to be moving much in the morning. I said, let's take the morning and we'll just go drive around, check some of the farmer's fields and see what's going on. And so we did. And it was about nine o'clock in the morning. The rain, snow stuff kind of stopped. And it was like you had flipped a switch. The deer started moving. We seen, I think, 11 deer within an hour. And so we said, well, let's go home. We'll grab a bite to eat and we'll go back out to that property again. So we done that. We came home, had a quick bite to eat and went back to that piece of private land. Uh, as we were walking back there, I said, well, so let's go check the trail camera where I missed that one deer at just to see. Went back there. There was no new pictures on, on that camera. So we were walking back to the piece of private land and just on the edge there was two new scrapes that weren't there the day before right on the fence line so we decided we're just going to sit here and see how it plays out for the night um, we had been there probably 45 minutes and a deer comes off to our side and i mean it's it's moving pretty good we could tell that it was a buck looked like a decent buck and uh, it was here and gone and uh, I told my buddy I said well maybe I'll try and see if I can sneak up there and we decided no that's probably not the best idea so we ended up rattling and we rattled and this deer came right back out same path that he had came and uh, this time we were ready. So at this point, it's mid-November, rifle season's open. I had my rifle with me. So I raised my gun up, and he's videoing everything. And I get settled on the deer and shoot him. And he drops right in his tracks. So we're celebrating, excited, and he turns to me and he said, you know, he said, I, I looked at that deer real quick before you shot him through my binoculars. I think that it's the deer that you missed with the bow. I said, no, it can't be. I said, that deer's long gone. I said, we're, there's no, no way that it's that deer that I missed. <laughs> and as we walk up there, we get probably 30 yards away from this deer. And it is the deer that I had missed earlier. And I absolutely lose it. Like, I, I could not believe that, you know, just out of chance, the deer that we seen that night was the deer that I missed earlier with the bow. That's absolutely incredible. <laughs> yeah. And this is a very big deer. Absolutely big deer. Yeah, it is the biggest deer that I've shot to date. Oh, my 
I mean, what's what's your feeling? I mean, as you get up there and you grab a hold of this, I mean, I'm just looking at a picture. G3s are like over 12 inches. I mean, he is, and it's not all about the rack, but I mean, you got a mature, big buck. Brian, how do you describe that moment? Uh, honestly, a little bit unbelievable. Um, <laughs> you know, just so many thoughts go through my head, like how how did it all come together? I mean, you know, I believe that God had to have a hand in it because uh, just the way that it played out, the whole season, the way that it played out, like every every aspect of the whole season, um, from missing the deer to finding the elk, uh, to not seeing anything, to finally connecting with the deer that I was after. Um, and I mean, on the video, which the video is not posted or anything, but you can hear, I, I do say, I said, thank you, God, because I, I do know that he's the one that put that deer there. I mean, there's no other, no other explanation for just the way the whole season played out. Yeah. No, that's uh, I <laughs> could not agree more. I think um, it's interesting the the seasons that we have, and yours and I is kind of being a little bit similar. You know, you struggle and you just don't know why things happen the way they do. But whenever I don't know, it's kind of like they always say hindsight twenty twenty. You you look back and you realize, okay, there were some lessons that I had to learn. And, you know, God, you know, that's the challenge sometimes. We wonder, does God care about hunting? Does God care about the football team I'm praying for? Does he care about, you know, sometimes I, I, I feel like sometimes we get in this mindset where like, ah, he doesn't really care about those things. But then something like that happens. It's just like you don't have a way to explain it. Could have been coincidence and luck. Maybe, um, but I don't. I don't know that I believe in luck as much as what I believe in God kind of setting things up. So, I, I, how do you, how do you explain all that? Um, you know, I agree with you, and even whenever I was sitting up in the stand and those that cow was checking me out, I remember bowing my head, and which I'm. I mean, I kind of had my head down anyways because I was trying not to look at him right in the eye. I had my head down and I closed my eyes and I said, you know, God, please, if, if it's your will for me to shoot this uh, bull, please let it work out and uh, let him step out and give me a shot. And, you know, two or three minutes later, uh, what happens? And I mean, there's just there's so many things in that whole situation from the cow deciding, you know, that everything was okay to the elk walking to the fence. And I believe that he would have kept walking if the stick wouldn't have broke back behind him. I mean, there's, there's too many coincidences for everything to line up for it just to be a, uh, a coincidence. Mm -hmm. Somebody has to have a hand in it. That's cool. I, um, I don't usually get this deep, but I'll just ask a quick question on that. Like, how how does that type of thing, you know, and I don't know your faith background or anything, but is this something that kind of helps you with your faith? Does it give you, like, a, a strong sense, or is it just kind of like one of those, I don't know, you, you, you attribute it to God, but it doesn't really affect anything. So how does the hunting, 
I guess what I'm asking is, how does the hunting affect your your faith? Is there any connection? Um. Yeah, you know, I believe that there is. Um, honestly, I believe that at times, even this year, you know, I was being tested while I was hunting. Uh, I I hit some rough patches, you know, in my faith and was trying to get back on on track at that time in my life. Well, I mean, I guess it's only been a few months, but I mean, I'm still struggling and trying to get back. Uh, but, uh, you know, just from going to shooting that elk and then not seeing anything for a month and a half, again, I believe that God was testing me to see if I had the patience to withstand or if I was just going to throw the towel in and give up. And I believe that pursuing on and, you know, continuing to follow what I was trying to do, I was rewarded with that deer in the end because of it. Um, mm. So, I mean, from many aspects, you know, he, he uses it to teach us lessons he uses it to, I mean, every time that we step out in the woods, we get to see his creation, what he's made. Uh, and I believe that he, he rewards us for things that we've done as well through hunting. Man, Brian, I don't think I could say that any better, man. I I, I kind of threw you a, a curveball there and you knocked it out of the park. Good job, man. <laughs> that's that's uh that's a really good way to look at that man i i uh that sounds like an incredible 2019 like i don't know that it <laughs> it could get much better than that no like i said it has definitely been my best season to date uh with first bull elk and like i said that is my biggest white tail um it, it was an unbelievable season and uh, we, we did get video of me shooting that deer and my buddy, the deer that he shot. So hopefully one day we'll get those posted so everybody can see uh, the excitement and kind of get a visual of what, what I explained. But uh, yeah, yeah I, you know, I, I hope that this year's is good, but if it's not, you know, we still get to be outdoors and we still get to enjoy everything that God has made. So, man, Brian, I love your attitude, dude. Like everything's always a positive with you. Uh, that's good. <laughs> oh, man. Guys, I want to just point you back again. I mean, um, Brian's mentioned a couple times Boreal Pursuit, B O R E A L pursuit uh on uh, instagram and also on facebook i just gave those guys a follow because there's some really good uh got brian's bull and it looks like your your group of guys has had a pretty good couple of years too just kind of scrolling through so good content um brian i really appreciate you coming on your show and on our show and you know uh, telling those stories man no i appreciate it travis it has been a great time um love to come back again absolutely 
I just realized listening to that episode that I end probably 95% of my podcast by saying absolutely. So <laughs> I tell you what, though, I really enjoyed hearing Brian's stories and um, just some great experiences that he's had this past season. You know, something I picked up on, and you probably did too, is how Brian just kept pointing out he patterned these animals and he figured out where they were and he went to that spot. I know that that's so simple, yet um, I think sometimes we, we tend to forget that. We've got to go to where they are. This morning was case in point. Um, I sometimes get really caught up in advice that I get from other people. And sometimes that advice is good advice and it's it works out. This morning it just didn't. I, I had this plan that I wanted set up in this bottom for these turkeys. And I've never set up there, but I've heard them just about every morning there. I had my plan ready to rock and roll and go to where I know these birds are. But I got a text from the farmer last night. I told him that I was coming over, and he told me that he saw two toms yesterday on the completely opposite end of the field, or opposite end of the farm, up high. And so he was kind of recommending that I start up high and work my way down. And I I took that advice because I thought, you know, maybe those birds will come out in the field like that again. So I sat up there, and they did not. <laughs> in fact, I heard them gobbling down in that bottom. And um, I don't know what would have happened had I started there. But the whole point remains, we have to go to where the animals are. Uh, We have to get close. We have to get super close if you're shooting a, a stick bow like I am right now. And it just makes me think a little bit about how close we are with God. I don't know about you, but there are times in life where I feel maybe distant from God. Um, feel like, I don't know, maybe feel like he's angry or maybe feel like things are just, you just feel this disconnect, like something's not right. Um, but I look at Acts 17, 27, and God talks about how, uh, verse 26 talks about how God kind of gave us our appointed time. Like God chose for the moment in history that you would live. And then verse 27 says that he did this, God did this so that they or you would seek him and perhaps reach out for him. So the idea here is God said he puts you in a certain time and it's the opportune time. He did that so that maybe you would consider reaching out to him. But then this next part I want you to get and find him though he is not far from any one of us. You know, I I can't tell you how many times I've been in the woods looking for an animal and I move to try and get close to where they are and I end up bumping them because they were close and I didn't realize it. And I think that that's what this verse is kind of telling us about God, is that God actually chooses to go to where we are. And even though we might think or feel that he is distant, the reality that this verse tells me is that he's actually not. And so all we have to do is maybe take a step in his direction, and he'll take ten steps. You know, we, we walk a little bit his way, and he, he meets us in the middle. And so I don't know, maybe you have that strained feeling right now, like maybe you have no relationship with God. And so for you, I mean, it doesn't mean that you're going to be a Christian come tomorrow, but maybe it's time just to, uh, you know, read a little bit of the Bible, see if there's anything in there. Maybe you are a Christian and you've just been struggling, though, with your faith, and uh, it's time maybe just to, ha- to have a sit-down, knock-out prayer. It's okay sometimes to yell and to be angry and to tell God what you feel. Um, I've done that many times. And so maybe that's a step. Maybe you're doing great. Um, I would encourage you, if you're doing great in your relationship with God, don't stop. 
keep going. There's always another um, step to take with God and growing and becoming more like Jesus. And so that's my challenge for you is to go to where he is and he will meet you uh, somewhere in the middle. Guys, I want to thank you once again for coming back for another episode. I want to thank Brian for coming on and sharing his stories. I hope that you guys enjoy it, and we'll see you right back here next week on Shedding Light Hunting Stories. And remember to shed the light. 